we're now going to have our reading. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John 1, we're going to be reading John 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Um, if you haven't got a Bible, please do just grab one of the church Bibles. There's quite a few on some of the tables around you. Thanks, Jenny. If you have got a church Bible, it's on page 1063. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. There are moments in life when an idea that you thought was impossible to understand becomes crystal clear. When it becomes so clear that that moment transforms and changes the direction of your life forever. We've heard from Nathan a little bit about something that happened in his life that transformed and changed him. The scientist Francis Crick, who's not a Christian, not a believer as far as I know, but he helped to identify the structure of DNA in the 1950s. He said this about one of those Eureka-type moments for him. He said, it's not easy to convey, unless one has experienced it, the dramatic, sudden enlightenment that floods the mind when the right idea finally clicks into place. One immediately sees how many previously puzzling facts are neatly explained by the new hypothesis. 
one could kick oneself for not having the idea earlier. It now seems so obvious. Yet before everything was in a fog. The Apostle John passionately wants us to have our own eureka moment through his account of Jesus' life. He wants us to experience that moment when we see the evidence about Christ, when we believe in who he is and in what he did. And that belief in Jesus leads us to have eternal life in his kingdom as children of God, both here on earth today and for eternity. John wants each of us to have a eureka moment, a moment when the fog clears and we see clearly who Jesus is and come to have faith in him. These sentences in John's gospel point us to a divine saviour who makes it possible for each one of us to be children of God. Now, I know that some of you are doing uh, maths mocks right now, uh, so I'm really sorry, but we need to do a quick bit of logic before we launch into the rest of our passage tonight. Uh, But it's a logic that's based on the passage. So if you look at verse 14, it says that grace and truth are from Jesus. So, a little bit of maths, Jesus is grace and truth. If you look at the back end of verse 14, where it says the Son with a capital S, so it's a name, was full of grace and truth. The Son is full of grace and truth. So grace and truth equals the Son. Jesus' followers, the apostles, had no doubt that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. In Luke's gospel, even demons know that he's the Son of God. Even the centurion presiding over Jesus' crucifixion said, truly, this was the Son of God. But the first part of verse 14 mentions the Word, and we see the Word as the Son, so the Son equals the Word. And in verse 1 it says the Word was God. And that's the last bit of our equation from these verses. Just a quick overview. Jesus is God. Even if maths is not a strong point for you, I'm hoping that you can see That John's gospel, right here, right at the beginning, is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is God. John uses different names, sun, light, grace and truth, the word, but they are all talking and pointing to him, to Jesus. John wants us to know That this man, Jesus, was so much more than we could ever imagine. He is God himself. Well, now that we've got that in our mind, we've got fixed that all of these different terms that we get throughout here all talk about Jesus and all talk about him being God, let's look at our passage for tonight. Our passage starts with words that would have startled hearers in the first century. The other three Gospels either start at Jesus' birth or when his ministry on earth starts. But John goes much, much further back. He says, in the beginning. These words at the start of John's gospel would have made everybody sit up and listen because they echo so precisely 
the opening words in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible that we have. In Genesis, these words kick off the description of how the creation of the world came about. How each day God spoke and the power of his very words brought things into life. We've got a cat at home. His name is Smile. Didn't know how ironically he would be named when we got him. He's a bit grumpy rather than smiley. He's a bit grumpy, but his, his name actually talks more of his appearance where when he was born, Abby looked at him being born. She was actually really privileged to see him being born. And he had a big smile on his face, big smile on his face, or it looked like from his markings. I think he looked more like the Joker to me now, actually, but I, I, he had a smile on his face. But actually, this cat is grumpy. And he picks at carpet and he picks at sofa. And I tell him to stop. And he picks at carpets and picks at sofas. And I tell him to stop. My words have no power over a cat. But our passage here talks about another person. One called the word who we now know is Jesus. And Jesus was there at the very start of creation. He is in fact God. Through him, through Jesus, all things were made. John wants us to hear these words right now because through the rest of the account of Jesus' life, John will record for us some amazing miracles that Jesus performs. Miracles that show Jesus' power over creation. Jesus calms storms. Jesus feeds enormous numbers of people with a children's lunchbox. Jesus has power over sickness, evil spirits, and even over death. These miracles just prove that Jesus is God. And they prove it because he has authority over things that normally only God has authority over. They're recorded in John's Gospel so that we sit up and listen to his words, to Jesus' words, and to Jesus' message to us, which you can read through the rest of John. So the first thing we learn is that the word is God, but Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's the first thing that we learn from here. He was there at creation. But if we turn to verse 14, this tells us that Jesus, God made flesh, lived among people. He dwelt or tabernacled among people. He wasn't some spirit who walked around this earth. He was flesh and blood and bone. Fully human and fully God. And again, the words in verse 14 would have made the hairs on the back of the neck of the people listening to it stand on end. They sound like the words from the book of Exodus, where we hear about God living in the tabernacle, the tent amongst his people. But now at this point in history, the one that John is recording, the Son of God, who is also God, is dwelling with his people. This is the promise that's been there throughout the the whole of the Old Testament for the Jewish nation. It's been there for hundreds of years, that God would eventually live among his people. And John is saying that that's come true as Jesus lives on earth. 
All through the Old Testament, that bit of the Bible that the Jews had, God promises and shows that he will be living with his people. The Old Testament is full of predictions about the coming of God to live amongst his people. But even at this time, John the Baptist, who is different from the John who actually wrote this, he's pointing to a light to all mankind that was about to come. We know that that light is Jesus. John the Baptist, even at this time, is predicting and witnessing to Jesus' coming. When he sees him, he says, Look, this is the one I spoke about. And the rest of John's gospel, that's the other John who did write the gospel, is full of other people who witnessed Jesus' life on earth, witnessed his miracles, witnessed his death and his resurrection. Throughout John's gospel, and right here at the start, John wants us to have enough evidence about Jesus that we have no doubt who he is and that he walked this earth. With the volume of evidence that we have in John's gospel, let alone with the other three gospels that we've got, we can be certain that Jesus lived. We can be certain that he did all the things that are written in his gospel. We can be certain that Jesus who is also God, came and lived amongst his people. God dwelt with his people again through Jesus. So we've looked at who Jesus really is, God. We've seen that there's no doubt that he walked this earth, but why did he come? What was his purpose? Well, in verse 9, it says something called the light was coming into this world. We know that Jesus is the light of the world. It says it later on in chapter 8. Verse 12, Jesus explicitly says he is the light of the world. Jesus has come as light because our world is dark. We know that, don't we? We know that our world is dark. We've heard some of the stories from Nathan of what's going on in Egypt, but we know that from our own lives. We see sickness, we see death, we see greed, we see people worshipping things or people worshipping other people. We see sexual permissiveness. We see where anything goes. We know deep down that this world is dark. But Jesus came to bring light. He came to shine God's holy, perfect light into the darkness and to get rid of it. He taught, he spoke, he helped people to see how to live differently. But he also came and died on a cross to get rid of that darkness once and for all. He defeated it when he died on that cross for you and for me. He gives light to everyone. So we can see from this passage that the word came to give light. But there's a problem. There's a problem. He came into this world and even though he took part in creation, this world didn't recognize him. The creator of the universe is not recognized by his own creation. But even worse than that, Jesus came to his own, to the people of Israel, to the Jewish nation, to the one group who had been waiting and waiting and waiting for his arrival. They didn't receive him. They wouldn't accept him. But that's okay, because there is a happy ending here. Because Jesus came for everyone. 
not just for the Jews. He came for anyone who would receive him. And to anyone who receives him, he gives the right to become a child of God. To anyone who believes in Jesus, in what he did on that cross, to anyone who trusts in Jesus' name, he gives the right to be a child of the one and only, the almighty God. And isn't that mind-blowing? That actually just by receiving him, by believing in the Lord Jesus, we become children of God. We become somebody who is loved unconditionally by God. We become somebody who is disciplined by God because he loves us to help us and to help us grow and to protect us. We become somebody who is never abandoned by God. We become somebody who is eternally secure because of what Jesus did. Being a child of God sounds like the safest place to be in a dark world, doesn't it? It sounds like the most perfect family to be part of, God's family. So how do you become a child of God? Well, in verse 12 it says that you must receive and believe who Jesus is. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? Sounds like it might be too easy, but that is all God asks. The word makes us children of God. Now these verses, these 18 verses, they are so familiar to us. They are probably read every Christmas time. We hear that the light of the world has come into the world, that he's been made flesh. Well, he has. And the evidence is here in God's word. The evidence is here that he did all the things that are written about him. The evidence is here that he came into this world to bring light and to bring salvation. And he brings it to those who will receive him and believe in who he is. This is Jesus, fully God, fully human, the word made flesh, full of grace and that we don't deserve and full of the truth that we need to hear. And believing in that Jesus gives us the right to be children of God. And that's just amazing. So we're going to spend probably the next few minutes uh, looking at a couple of questions. Um, Got four questions up there. We've probably got about ten minutes to spend looking at those. But before we do, I just want to ask one more thing. In this room, there's probably about 90% of people at least will be people who've received Jesus and have believed him as their Lord and their Savior already. But this probably means that there's still quite a few people in this very room who haven't yet. Um, If you want to acknowledge Jesus as your Lord tonight, please do so. People say, don't sit on a fence. But, But actually, there is no fence to sit on. You're either on Jesus' side or you're not. This passage spoke about people who had rejected Jesus. But I'm assuming that if you're here, you haven't rejected him outright. But it might mean that you still need to be convinced about who Jesus is. But if that's you, then take the opportunity to discuss some of these questions honestly around your table. 
Or if you want to, come and chat to me afterwards or, or to Phil or to anybody else. But if you are someone who believes that Jesus is God, that he lived on this earth, that he did the things that are recorded about him and that he died for your disobedience against God, for your sins, but you haven't yet made that step of saying that you believe it, then if you want to make that step tonight, then come and join me on the table down here. I'm going to, when we break into our question time, I'm just going to sit there and please come and join me. We can pray about the decisions you've made. We can pray about the step that you're making this evening. And that might sound really embarrassing to have to stand up and walk across. But don't forget that at least 90% of this room has already made that step. 90% of this room will be beaming with joy as you walk over. And you'll be hard-pressed to find a happier place on earth for the next 15 minutes than this place full of believers who see somebody else wanting to make that step. I'm going to go over there and sit. If nobody else comes over, I will have a plate of biscuits to myself. And I'll also be able to think about one John and what I should have preached on instead. But if we could now spend some time just going through those questions, um, that'd be really good.